0: so so very good to be here with each and every one of you so glad to check in with you today i'm going to take a super deep dive into the murder of Ahmad aubrey we won't be looking at that video but um we're going to go deep into the case i'm going to be taking all of your questions I will be kind of trying to inspect how we got here and what's next. I'm going to have action steps for all of us to take, and I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as we can. All right. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The Breakdown. The the Breakdown. The the Breakdown. The, 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 The Breakdown. Everybody, before we get started, I want to do a roll call and give I was going to actually go through all of the comments and begin giving all of you shout outs. But I think if I'm looking at it, this is actually uh, the most people we've ever had here. And there are hundreds of comments. But let me say before we get started with this deep dive, let me first say thank you to All of you who signed the petition, who chipped in, who sent emails, who made phone calls. And what we know is that it took millions and millions and millions of all of us just to get two men, two of the three men. And we're going to talk about this third man in just a second. It took millions of us. To get what we have right now. And I'm grateful. Uh, I had a chance to uh, text with Ahmad's family this morning, and they are deeply, deeply grateful. And I'm thankful for all the work that you all put in. You know, a lot of people have said something, and I want to start here today. A lot of people have said that uh, me and Lee Merritt. Are a voice for the voiceless, and I want to talk about that for a second before we get started. I, we're not a voice for the voiceless. Ahmad's mother Wanda has a voice. It's just she was unheard. People were not giving her case the attention that it deserved. It, she's she's not voiceless. From February 23rd, when Ahmad was killed. All the way to today, she's been talking, she's been demanding justice, but we have a system that we see now sometimes requires millions of us to speak just before they start to provide justice for someone like Ahmaud Aubrey's family. So my role is not to be a voice for the voiceless. If. For some reason, someone is not able to speak. I will always speak for them. But what we're really here to do is to amplify the calls for justice for the family of Ahmad, and and to amplify the calls that they had. And so thank all of you that are here. I don't know if any any of my homies from New York are in here. If you're in New York, want to give you a special shout out because we've been having a hell of a time. But uh, I'm deeply, deeply grateful to be here, and uh, am grateful that we're doing this work. Shout out to all of you who've subscribed. So many of you have also subscribed on Patreon. If you're, I see you, Brooklyn. If you're a Patreon member, uh, you can go to Patreon.com/slash The Breakdown. Many of you have subscribed here as well. This is I've been doing the Breakdown podcast for. Uh, For over a year now, we've done hundreds of episodes with tens of millions of downloads. But we are now going live every Friday at 11 a.m. here on Twitch. Uh, Eventually, we'll be broadcasting out to Facebook and YouTube and other places. But uh, thank all of you who have underwritten the cost of this. Because we're completely and totally funded by patrons on Patreon funded by all of you who've subscribed here on Twitch. We can speak truth to power. We can call out who we need to call out. We can say what we need to say without fear of retribution because we're funded by you. And so thank all of you. I think we now have over 2000 people who are patrons on Patreon and that funds one episode a week. But when we cross 3,000 patrons we're going to take this show from once a week to twice a week and so our hope is that here over the next few days that we'll get over 3,000 patrons and we'll add an extra day we think maybe Wednesday um but I'm grateful for all of you I see you subscribing I see you donating and tipping now let me speak about that before we begin our deep dive and um You're going to have to forgive me. I see. Yeah. See you subscribing. thank you. You're going to have to forgive me today because I'm going to try to bring in a lot of images and videos. And this is going to be my first time doing it. And we're looking we're going to be doing this show for a very long time. And so right now I am running the control center and I have some help with my team. But um, I hope that I can show you everything that I want to show you. And I'm going to be taking as many of your questions as possible. Um, we have poured our heart and soul into this case. Um, yeah, this stream, someone asked, is this stream every week? Yep. The stream is every week right now. It's every Friday and we're fully funded by our patrons and our Twitch subscribers. So thank all of you. That is not just something that's giving me income. We have an entire staff behind the scenes at the North star and the breakdown that helps produce all of this. And so thank all of you for your support. Um, We poured our heart and soul into this case. And uh, in just a minute, I'm going to begin the process of taking a very deep dive into the case. I'm going to start at the very beginning. Uh, I'm going to be here for an hour and a half or so. And um, we're going to we're going to take your questions and try to be as specific and detailed as possible. I'll have time in the episode for your questions. And later we're also doing a a private chat for all of our patrons on Patreon as well. And we'll have uh, some private chat time for all of the subscribers here on Twitch as well. But I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. So if you ask your question and I don't get to it right away, just be patient. I'm going to get there. All right. Um, I'm grateful that we have tools and platforms like this to be able to connect and build us together. All right. So give me give me some time. I'm getting some things here together, some screens that I want to share as well. And we'll begin to break it down. All right. If you can see, I just want to make sure that you all see what I see. OK, because I'm going to be sharing my screen here with you. And uh, this is my first time doing it. So can you see the mug shots right here of Travis and Gregory McMichael? I just want to make sure you all see what I see. Good, 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 good. OK, that is that is great. This is going to allow me to share what I'm looking at and I'm going to really go. All the way back to the beginning of how I got on this case and how my friend and brother Lee Merritt got on this case, I have so many emotions when I look when I look at, at those mug shots, um, I see somebody said the picture makes you gag. You know, if you read my caption there, I'm not sure if you, if it's clear enough for you to see my caption, but when I finally saw those mugshots last night, I also f- just felt cold, uh, seeing them, and knowing that these two sorry men murdered a brother that was so beloved and so so cherished and valued by his family and his friends. I'm I'm not trying to just judge these men on what they look like, but seeing them gave me no joy whatsoever. I, I am absolutely glad that they've been arrested because you can't, you can't convict anybody without them being arrested. So I'm glad, I'm glad these mugshots exist, but something about seeing them, uh, didn't ease my anger. And I want to start somewhere before I get deep into the case of saying something that I told a few of you last night. There are a lot of reasons why I think these men were finally arrested after three months. Um, And we're going to unpack all of that. But I also think the state of Georgia understood our anger. And I said something on Instagram that I ended up that my wife asked me to take down. I had so many people coming to me and literally telling me that they wanted to murder these men. And I had to tell people over and over and over again, listen, let us try to do what we're trying to do. But people were so I felt this. I I literally every day had to control the anger in my heart. Over what we witnessed, and f- I have grown to feel like, in some ways, this is our Emmett Till. Uh, Emmett Till is Emmett Till, and and his case of injustice stands alone. But seventy years after that, I have grown to feel like this is a case that we are going to know for the rest of our lives. Th- the name. Ahmaud Aubrey, the names of these men, and there's one more man, and I'm going to talk about him in a few minutes as well. It infuriated me in a place in my heart and in my soul that I don't know. I mean, I deal with so much injustice, but I it, it ignited something in me. And every day when I would see people either online or me, or have people message me and literally say, Sean, we should just go and take care of this ourselves. I honestly think that part of what factored into the state of Georgia and the Georgia Bureau of Investigations arresting these men was that they saw our anger. And I'm not here to justify death threats, but it came from a very real emotional like a place of fury and rage. And what I found is I am, I am relieved. I don't know if you saw this. Let me see. Um, You know, this is a a text last night, Lee Merritt, who has been here on the show before Lee Merritt and I went to Morehouse together and uh, we've known each other since we were teenagers over 20 years now because we're getting old But uh, and I'm going to tell you how we how we came to take on this case in just a minute. But this was a text between Lee and Ahmad's mother last night, Wanda, and Lee just asked her how she was feeling. And this this was let me let me just say what I'm trying to say here. This image didn't relieve my fury. This image didn't relieve my anger so much, but this text when I woke up this morning and we have been working sometimes 16, 18 hours a day on this case, not just me and Lee, but our teams. But this text from Wanda Ahmad's mother last night where Lee asked her how she's feeling and she says, I'm good. I'm relieved. I'm tired. She says, thank you, Lee, for your help. She says it wouldn't have happened without number one, God number two, you and Sean, she says again, thank you and good night. This text from Wanda uh, began to help me ease the some of the anger in my heart. And as furious as as this image and seeing these men or, you, you know, I knew I knew that we had a problem. Let me go all the way back here. Hold on one second. I knew we had a problem. When I first saw when I first saw this image, I knew what we were dealing with. This is. That's all the way back on April 28th, really before the case was known on a supernational level. And um, I was really one of the first people to share this image. And we went through a lot of steps to verify that it was them. And most of the media still took a very long time to share it. What we came to know later is that this is uh, this is Gregory McMichael on the left and Travis McMichael on the right. Gregory McMichael worked for the local police department there in Brunswick, Glen County. He worked there for seven years and then took a job as a lead investigator for the local prosecutor's office so both both areas of government uh, of justice there in brunswick the police department and the district attorney's office he had worked for them both for over 30 years and even when he took the job at the district attorney's office they are they are not left hand right hand really they are fingers on the same hand in the same glove and so for over 30 years, he had worked in that department. And when this case happened, when this murder happened, when this lynching happened, and I saw this image, I understood, oh, this is this is what we're up against. And when I came to understand that, I began learning that he worked for the police department and the district attorney's office. And I want to start there right before we get into the case. Okay. This woman, if you can see her, this is Jackie Johnson. She is the district attorney of Glenn County. That's the county in Brunswick. She should be voted out, she should be ousted. Uh, she refused to bring any charges on the case. And when she refused to bring charges, Ahmad's family then recused them. Uh, Ahmad's family then demanded that she recuse herself because Gregory McMichael had worked in her office for over 30 years. They were personal friends. She knew him well. And when Ahmad's mother and family understood that, Oh, The person who needs to bring charges is actually close friends with the murderer. They demanded that she recuse herself. She was offended by that and refused to bring charges. So they then passed the case to Ware County, which is another small county in South Georgia in Waycross, Georgia. And they passed the county to Waycross, Georgia. And this is the district attorney, George Barnhill. In Waycross, Georgia, who wrote at the time uh, or this is all the way back in early April, who wrote a three page letter on why he was also not going to prosecute the case. And it was in that letter that he said he determined that this was a legal citizens arrest. And that he was not going to prosecute the case. But then. This was before me and Lee and others even got on this case. Then Ahmad's family found that he had a conflict of interest and found that he has family who works in her office. And that both of them, the district attorney in Glenn County, Jackie Johnson, and the district attorney in Ware County, George Barnhill, that both of them had multiple conflicts of interest in the case. He finally, after issuing a letter on why he was not going to prosecute the case, he then said, I'm choosing not to prosecute the case, but because of the conflict of interest, I'm going to pass it on. And he passed it on to a third district attorney 80 miles away And the case sat in that district attorney's office for almost a month. And it was all the way back in late April. I was literally sitting on my couch. My babies had just gone to bed. And I got a text message. Um, I did something. How many of you got an email that included my phone number in it? If you got that email from me, say yes on here. Okay, just say yes, uh, because I need to. Talk, I need. I need to know. Oh, you. So you have my. <laughs> my wife's gonna kill me. Okay, so you all got the email with my phone number. Let me tell you something that happened with that. Hold on. So yes, that is actually my phone number, and. On in the third week of April, I got a text message from one of Ahmad's best friends. And he either had gotten that email from me or somebody forwarded him that email. And I've gotten hundreds and hundreds of phone calls, not just from you all, but also from people who mean to do me harm. (laughs) And so it has been crazy with all of you having my number. That is my number. But um, the the silver lining in it was one of Ahmad's best friends from childhood. Sent me a text message and he told me in the text message something that really broke my heart. He said that he had been emailing me for two months. And uh, Lissandra, who is an assistant on my staff, uh, understands this. On some days, I get hundreds and hundreds. Some days, I get over a thousand emails, many of them personal emails from people who are asking for help for some type of injustice they've experienced. And he said that he had been trying to reach out and get my attention. He said that he had been commenting uh, here on Instagram And uh, I hadn't seen them. I just had not noticed the emails. I hadn't seen his comments. And he told me that the family could not even find an attorney. This is mid-April. Ahmad was killed on February 23rd and that the family could not find an attorney to take their case and could not get not just my attention, but could not get the attention of somebody that could help guide them through it. And I asked him to explain to me what happened. And, and the first thing that I asked him was if he could send me some articles. And by that time of, of two or three local pieces in Savannah in South Georgia had been written and he sent me the articles and I immediately understood two things. And the first one broke my heart. I had gotten emails from several people and messages from several people about the case. And I just didn't understand the gravity of it. And I could cry just thinking about it because all the way back in February, uh, the week after uh, Ahmad was murdered, uh, a young a young brother in the NFL I a lot of um a lot of athletes in the NFL and NBA and and other leagues follow me and I I try to give them advice and guidance on how to use their influence and uh, a young brother in in the NFL wrote me the week after Ahmad was murdered and told me that um there was a case of injustice of a former Uh, teammate of his and that to him, it sounded like what happened to Trayvon Martin. And I saw somebody, somebody says, do I only take a case that's newsworthy? No. um, At any given day, I'm working on dozens of different cases and stories and issues. And I just have very limited capacity. I'm, even though I have a staff and a team that I manage I'm just I am still just one person. And I asked him back then if he had something he could send me because I just didn't understand what he was saying and he didn't have anything. And people had reached out to me in March and April. And what happened was the week after Ahmad was murdered. First, if you remember in the interview that I did. With his mother, Wanda. Um, the week after he was murdered, all she could really do is not, she wasn't fighting for justice yet. She was just trying to get her son buried and she was grieving. And the week after that, they began understanding that the police had lied to her and lied to the family about what took place. And she began understanding the conflicts of interest. And then all of a sudden the pandemic really took over the country and it took over. I live in the middle of Brooklyn in a neighborhood that is very badly hit. Literally in the in the the block I live on in the blocks behind us, we've had people die in our neighborhood from the coronavirus. And in the city of Brooklyn where I live, which is just one borough in New York, we've had more people die in Brooklyn, just Brooklyn alone, not all of New York City. We've had more people die in Brooklyn than forty-nine states. Only New Jersey has had more people die than Brooklyn. And so all of a sudden, the week after Ahmad was murdered, we are shutting down the offices for the North Star. Right now I'm I have a podcast studio. This is now I'm at home. I'm in a home studio. We had to close down our offices. We began losing Hundreds and hundreds of our members who lost their jobs, members of the North Star, supporters of the breakdown, including many of you good people who've been supporting me and my projects for years. And so all of a sudden in the weeks after Ahmad's murder, the nation was in crisis. And as the pandemic hit. It took all of my attention. I didn't talk much about this publicly, but. I run an organization called the Action Pack, and I don't know if any of you are donors or supporters of the Action Pack. So I'm going to talk all about it here in just a few minutes. But uh, our offices for the Action Pack had to close as well. And we started something called the C-19 Help Squad. And many of you may be a member of the C-19 Help Squad. But we formed one of the first mutual aid societies Helping people that were affected by the coronavirus. And thousands, I see some of you are a part of, yeah, I see some of you who are a part of the C19 Help Squad. We didn't do any media, we didn't do any press, we didn't brag publicly about our work. But thousands and thousands, over 5,000 people, joined the C19 Help Squad to become helpers to people in need. And a mutual aid society is where people who need help come to the team and say, I need help. And people who can give help come and say, well, I can give help. We don't take any money. We match the people who can give help with the people who need help. And it's been a beautiful, difficult, challenging thing that we've been running behind the scenes. And we have a staff of almost 10 people at the Action Pack that have been working around the clock since the beginning of the pandemic as a part of that C-19 help squad. And that effort took over so much of our time and attention, taking care of my family, all of my kids. School were closed. We had a daughter in college who had to come home. We had four children in elementary school, middle school, and high school who were now being schooled from home. And what I didn't know as the nation was in the grips of the coronavirus pandemic, is that the family of Ahmaud Aubrey was just searching for anybody who could help them. And they struggled to get help because all of us were struggling in our own way. And so as people reached out to me in February and March, it wasn't until I sent out that email with my, with my phone number, And Ahmad's friend texted me and and asked me for help and told me that he had emailed me as well. And I found his emails. And we then that night I I texted Lee Merritt, who became the civil rights attorney and the the attorney for the family. I texted Lee that night. It was almost 1130 at night and asked Lee if he had seen or heard about the case. And he had never heard about it either. All of the articles that had been written about it were all written locally in South Georgia. And so if you didn't if you didn't live in South Georgia because of the coronavirus, it was nobody was talking about it. And it just had not hop the fence, if you will, to become a national case. Lee and I text each other or and talk to each other sometimes 20, 30, 40 times a day on all the different cases that we're working on. And I sent him, we didn't have this image yet. All we really had, all we really had was this picture of Ahmad and a high school friend of his saying, Would you please talk to his mother? And I told his friend, this is after 11 o'clock on my kids were in bed. I told Ahmad's friend, yes, yes, you got my attention. I want to help. Can you just put us in touch with Wanda? And he emailed right away and said, Miss Wanda, this is Sean King. He's a a civil rights activist and organizer, and, and he wants to help. So I copied Lee. I replied all and copied Lee on the message and got Lee on the thread and Lee introduced himself and said, hey, I'm a civil rights attorney and I want to help. And Lee and I were texting each other. And the more we understood about this case, the more we understood that it was some type of some type of lynching. There was no video yet. We had not interviewed people on the ground yet, but just even the few little articles that we had read and what we were learning from Ahmad's friend and his mother Wanda really clued us into the reality that this was a lynching that had taken place. And Lee agreed that night with Miss Wanda that he would take the case. I agreed that I would come on in any capacity that, that they needed and we stayed up talking to Wanda that night past midnight and Lee came on as the attorney and I came on as the lead organizer for the family. And that was in the last week of April. And right away I began telling our team at the action pack, um, talking to Dan, Adam, uh, um, Miriam, the entire crew, uh, Zoe, Jen, Becky, and others at the Action Pack trying to explain to them. I began explaining to my wife. I began explaining to our team at the North Star, including Lasandra and Willis and others. And I did on April the 28th, I did an episode of, of the breakdown. This is the breakdown live that you're watching right now. But on April 28th, I did an episode of the breakdown about Ahmaud Aubrey. I began introducing his case and the story. And I just want to tell you a, a decision that I made. I just, des- the first thing I decided to do was to share this image and Part of I decided to share this image first instead of this image. I shared them back to back. But I wanted people first to understand that these two men who are hunters and we had multiple people who told us that they were both known open bigots, that they had been openly racist and I wanted to make this post. Right away, once Lee and I confirmed that this was them, several people had sent us their photos. What we came to understand again, this is Gregory and Travis McMichael. What we came to understand since this is April 28th, when I posted this, what we came to understand is that they had removed all of their Facebook pages, Gregory Travis, and even a lot of their family. They removed Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and we could hardly even find a trace that these men existed. And we understood at that point that even that was a clue that these men were highly concerned that once people realized what they did, that it was going to be a problem. And it was just a a clue for us. And once I confirmed that this was them and it took us a, a lot of work. And let me tell you, what we basically had to do is ask people in Brunswick, are you sure this is them? And and let me tell you what we learned. I didn't talk about it in my conversation with Wanda, his mother, because I, I just didn't want to bring it up. Ahmad's family. Ahmad's family knew that these were the men who who murdered their son, their brother, their, their best friend. These men were all over town. Gregory and Travis McMichael, they were just still living in their house. Family and friends of Ahmad told me they were seeing them at the grocery store. See them. I mean, they were just open. And, and and back to what I told you, the Glenn County district attorney and the Ware County district attorney both said, Hey, we're not going to arrest them. We're not going to charge them. And so they felt, clearly, they felt free. They felt, like case closed. This is over. And Amaz family, for February and March and April, had to deal with the pain and rage of seeing these men all over Brunswick. And I couldn't believe it. They were they felt like they they were fine. They were living in their house. and I'm not going to post the address, but we eventually got the home address and I decided to say something here. And I don't think my wife might be watching. I don't know if she knows I said this, but I think I said here in my post. um, Let me see here as I look at it. I wanted them to know that I knew You know, I say here that I knew that he used to work for the police department. Let me see, because. I want it. I do say it may not be on this post. It could be on a different one. I wanted people to know from the beginning. I wanted them and their family and friends, and I wanted I wanted District Attorney Jackie Johnson and I wanted uh, Ware County District Attorney George Barnhill. I wanted them to know that we know where these men live. And I I just wanted people to know that we know where you are, we are angry, and we are going to begin this fight for justice. And one of the first things that I do is, and it's sad that this is even necessary, one of the first things that That very night, the night that Lee and I first connected with Ahmad's family, we asked them the thing that we have asked hundreds of families. We asked them to send us their favorite photos and images of their loved one. Because we knew the moment we began talking about getting justice in this case, that people would try to tear apart Ahmad's character, his integrity. And one of the strategies that we have, and it's it's disturbing and problematic that we even have to do this. But if you watch how I move, it's a strategy that you can duplicate on your own in any cases you're fighting for as well. The first thing we do is ask a family. Do you have any beautiful photos, any fun photos, images or videos of your loved one so that we not the police, not the prosecutors, not a uh, District Attorney Jackie Johnson or, or Ware County District Attorney George Barnhill, who both said we're not even going to prosecute in this case. This was a justified murder. We know that we have to define for people first exactly who this human being is, that this is a son, that this is a brother, that this is someone who was loved and valued and treasured. And for us, for me and Lee, it's not about someone being perfect, but we understand that if we don't if we don't paint a picture of someone's humanity first, we've already learned from years of practice doing this work. We've already learned that people will begin to lie and paint the people that we are fighting for as monsters, as criminals, and they will begin to stereotype and typecast them in a way that we knew was going to be problematic. And so right away, we just thought this was a crystal clear, beautiful image of who Ahmad was. And we wanted to do in some ways do to them what they often do to us. And so I wanted this to be the first thing you saw of Gregory and Travis McMichael. And then I wanted this to be the first thing that you saw of Ahmad Aubrey. Do you understand what I do? You understand what we were doing there, trying to trying to use the strategies that on some level they have used against us for so long that actually that 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 they use to deprive us of justice. We now have to use those strategies to help us get justice. So we said, OK, OK. This is this is Gregory and Travis McMichael. These men are hunters. And we and I wanted people to understand that they were the type of people who like to hunt things. And part of what we wanted to do is to show that these hunters hunted a man on February the 23rd. And we wanted people to understand that literally the same weapons that they used to hunt and kill this animal were literally the same weapons that they used to shoot and kill Ahmaud Aubrey. Literally, they left their house. Let me get into the case while we have time. Okay. They left their house in Shatilla Shores. That's the neighborhood. That's public knowledge. It's not doxing. If you Google that Shatilla Shores, it's everywhere. People are marching, as you'll see here. Let me let me show you a video that I thought was beautiful. Hold on one second. So much injustice. This is. This is people marching literally to the homes of Gregory and Travis McMichael and right where people are right here. This is literally right where Ahmad was killed and just 300 feet away right off the scene here is where Gregory and Travis McMichael lived. And I want to talk about the case. Uh will spe- somebody asks is, is that how you spell it? I'll 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 post it later. On February the 23rd a sunny kind of hot February afternoon and I don't know if any of you live in the deep south but in the deep south, even during February, it can be cool at night, but it was actually a very, very warm day. And Ahmad literally put on shorts and a white T-shirt. There you go. Satilla Shores. That's right. You spelled it. Many, many, many times on the weekend, Ahmad would run on Saturday and Sunday afternoons. And Ahmad, Ahmad did not live in this neighborhood. He lived in an adjacent neighborhood, and he was his family and friends were careful to tell me that he was not really a jogger. He was a runner, and that he was uh, an all-state football player, a super super skilled athlete, and who had dreams of eventually going to the NFL himself. That's why so many players who played Division One college football and pro football reached out to me because they knew him and um he ran through this neighborhood and let me tell you some this was a neighborhood he ran through all the time um some of what he thought and many of you I've had so many people talk to me about this um he saw it as a safe neighborhood like I don't know if any of you run if sometimes you pick and choose where you run for your own safety and Ahmad would jog and run through this neighborhood and other neighborhoods, um, sometimes literally r- running for five miles, six miles, 10 miles. And he was super, super fit. And, uh, if you saw my interview of, of, Wanda, his mother, just a few weeks ago, um, she said he was as fit as somebody who was a professional athlete. And he kept himself in just impeccable shape. And, um, you know, he would go out to the garage and lift weights and run regularly. And as Ahmad ran through this neighborhood, and I'm going to see if I can show you the video of where he was running and I want to break down what happened. OK, yeah. Somebody says, can you stop addressing a troll? Like who cares about a troll? Who is the troll? Let me see them. What's the troll's name? We can we can block a troll. Yeah, just ignore the troll like who, nobody cares. Yeah. Thank all of you. I see so many of you said you ran today. Yeah, I'm grateful for you. Yeah, don't 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 think about the troll. Somebody said, oh, you're talking about this person? Did you take down your Facebook threat saying I had 150 people ready to kill them? No, no, let me let me be very clear. 150 or more people reached out to me saying they were ready to kill these men. And I told those people regularly, please let us do what we're trying to do. So that's not a Facebook threat. Okay, that's just me telling my story. So whoever's saying that, whatever, like it doesn't even. Yeah, yeah. I took it down because it seemed like I was bragging that I had people. And that wasn't my intention. My intention was to say, Georgia and others, I need you to understand that the rage and anger was so real. Like, let's just be real for a moment. We're here together. There's 1700 of us here. How many of you felt so much rage in your heart? that it caused you to think unhealthy thoughts about what you wanted to do in this case. How many of you? Rage. You see it? We all felt that. Rage. Fury. Anger. And I had grown men and women write me and say, Sean, I want to kill these men. And what we tried to what Lee and I tried to do, and I'm going to break down the case itself, is we tried to say, I understand, I actually feel that way myself. And I wanted the state of Georgia to understand that we're not just chilling, that we are boiling over with rage. And I had to find careful ways to express it and and i'm I hope that it's cathartic for many of you who are commenting right now saying, "I felt that way. I'm talking about good law abiding people saying, "I feel like doing something awful and that's how it made us, that's how it made us feel People cried. I had people write me to say that they went out and, and ran and screamed while they ran and so You know, the reality is that Georgia needed to understand how we felt and and we expressed it. And I saw many people, including many of my friends who are prominent figures, not just comment on my post, but say, like, I feel like doing something about this. And our goal was to make it such that we didn't have to do something about this, that we would force the system to work. So I want to show you. Yeah, somebody else just said they ran and screamed. So yeah, ignore the troll. But our our emotions are real. Part of part of being a marginalized person in society is that people people don't want Particularly if you are a black black or brown person in this thread or, or if you are a woman in this thread, if you are if you are black Latino or if you are a woman or if you are a person of color in this in this room right now. You are often expected to have emotions that fit in a tiny little box. You are, that's right. Or queer. Like you are expected to. Fe- you, you can only have this small range of emotion. And what I needed people to understand is, no, we have a big ass box of emotions. And right now we're feeling anger and rage and passion and frustration. And I know that for a lot of people, if you are, you can't be black and angry. You can't be a woman and angry you, because if you are an angry woman, guess what they call you? They call you a bitch. Right. Or if you're a black, angry woman, they literally have a phrase called angry black woman. And it's like, no, listen, you can be an angry black woman. But what happens is when you have when you have. When you are marginalized in society. People want to keep your emotions in a small box like you can't have a full range of emotions. And what I wanted Georgia to understand in this case is, yeah, I know we normally keep our emotions to ourselves, but I need you to understand that behind the scenes, people are so full of rage that they feel like taking this into their own hands. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think you do. I can see that you do. And so this case caused so much rage and frustration and pain that good people were saying, I feel like doing something about this. And that's caused by not months, not weeks, not years. That's caused by centuries of being told to be patient. That's caused by centuries of being told to wait for everything to play out. I can't tell you how many times I'm sorry, I'm loud. I don't know if my voice is distorted for you all. I can't tell you how many times I have worked with a family whose loved ones were killed by police or killed by white supremacist violence and. People like people like District Attorney Jackie Johnson of Glenn County or Ware County uh, uh, District Attorney George Barnhill would tell these families, hey, hold on. Just wait until everything plays out. And guess what we would do? We would wait until everything played out. And then George Barnhill and, and Jackie Johnson, after a year, after two years, three years, four years. We fought for justice for Eric Garner for five years and they still did not hold for five years. They told us to wait. We fought so long that his daughter, Eric Garner's daughter and primary advocate, Erica Garner died fighting for justice for her father. So we we've played the waiting game. And what I needed people to understand is, in this case, we're tired of waiting. And I needed, I needed Georgia and we needed people to understand that, no, we're not playing the waiting game. We've done that. And that whatever whatever waiting, we've waited. There's a brilliant clip. I wish, I wish I could play it right now where James Baldwin. Have you seen this video where James Baldwin says, My grandfather waited. My grandmother waited. My mother waited. My father waited. My uncle waited. My auntie waited. I'm tired of waiting. We've been waiting. We've been waiting for generations. So I needed people to understand that, listen, I am a I am a calm. I am a super calm person. But I needed people to understand that we are we are past waiting. Because the, the waiting is always a lie. It's a farce. And we are past this idea that we're just going to wait. And so during a pandemic, and you will see that we've been very careful to not call for protest and, because we want people to be safe. Because particularly in in black communities across the country, the pandemic is spreading But people in Brunswick, that rage that I'm talking about, people in Brunswick who have been marginalized and oppressed for generations. These people, these people right here in South Georgia, George Barnhill, Jackie Johnson, what they have, they their idea of a justice system is policing black communities. So these communities and these people are over policed. And now that they let me teach you something real quick. The American justice system and many of us no longer even call it. If you listen to the breakdown, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Many of us don't even call it the justice system because it gives so little justice. Many of us have now tried to train ourselves to call it the American legal system. It's a system of laws, but it's not necessarily a system of justice. So let me teach you a quick, a quick little lesson that I teach on the breakdown podcast all the time. This system was not built to give marginalized and oppressed people. It was particularly not built to give African Americans justice. This system, the police departments and these district attorneys' offices, were not built to give Ahmad Aubrey justice. They were built to police and arrest and jail Ahmaud Aubrey. They weren't built to give Ahmaud Aubrey or his family justice. For, for many of you who may not understand this, there are three books real quick, and if my team will drop links to them uh, or just say their names here so you can have them, there are three books that will break down what I want you to understand. There's a book called Slavery by Another Name. Slavery by Another Name, and it won. It's by Douglas Blackman. And it won the Pulitzer Prize. Douglas Blackman is from the deep south is is a was a middle aged white man who wrote for the Wall Street Journal. Who came to understand that. There were graveyards all over the south. That had hundreds and hundreds of bodies in them. From jails and prisons but didn't have the background or didn't have the story on it. Also, if you Google slavery by another name, there's a two-hour documentary that's powerful. And here's what he found. He won the Pulitzer Prize for this. This is almost 15 years ago now, I think. In Douglas Blackman's book, what he realized was that after the 250 or so years of slavery in America, shadow plantation slavery, slavery, After the Civil War and the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendment. There you go. Yes, you can watch that documentary. We just my team just posted the link there. After slavery, as we knew it ended, that the United States built jails and prisons. Let me teach you something. During slavery, there were no black people in jails and prisons. Almost zero. Does anybody want to guess why? There were no black people in jails and prisons before 1860. I'm talking about the number is minuscule. Does anybody want to guess in the comments why there were no black people in jail? That's right. They were the workforce. You were either enslaved or they'd kill you. There are almost no black people in jail. From 1619, when William Tucker arrived in Jamestown, Virginia, and was enslaved, he is the, the, that's the first name of an enslaved black man that we knew of in Jamestown, Virginia, from 1619 to 1860, jails and prisons in the United States were primarily for white people. After slavery ended with the Civil War and the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments, when I say it ended after slavery, as we knew it ended, what Douglas Blackman in slavery by another name broke down was that they then used prisons and jails to enslave people, but not call it slavery. That's why the book is called slavery by another name. That's why the documentary 13th explains to us that the 13th amendment says Slavery is illegal, except basically in case of incarcerate, in the case of incarceration, in case of jails or prison, in case a crime is committed. So all of a sudden, not hundreds, not thousands, and I've talked about this on the podcast, millions of laws were written from 1860 until this morning. And those laws were primarily written. To incarcerate and undermine black communities. They were not written. They were not written to give justice. To this man. The American legal system. Was was created over hundreds of years to incarcerate Ahmad Aubrey, not to give his family justice. So when. When these people right here who are just everyday people in Brunswick started saying that the rage and frustration and anger was building in their heart, it was building in their heart because in South Georgia and listen, you don't have to live in South Georgia. There are communities like Brunswick all over the country. I live in New York. There are small, oppressive communities in New York. Doesn't matter where you live. These people said, "Now nah, we're tired of waiting," and they marched. Let's see this? Can you see that? Can you all hear that video? When I play this video, can you hear it? Good. These people marched to the home of the McMichaels and this right here is exactly where at the at the back if you can see my mouse this is right where Ahmad Aubrey was shot and killed now i want to explain something to you okay and i'm not going to i'm going to be very careful not to show you the murder of Ahmad but i want to show you this street First, okay. Um, The several of you have asked, and I'll 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 make this clear. This is on. This is three days ago. Wow, it feels we've worked so hard over the past few weeks that it feels like uh, it feels like at least last week on. The morning that I shared this video, I was in a staff meeting uh, for the North Star and. Lee Merritt, the attorney, I can say this publicly now, but we had not we had not been able to say it over the past few days. Lee Merritt, the attorney, said that someone had just sent us the video and what we did not. Something has slipped past us. Um Let me see here. This is. Let me refresh that. Hold on one second. I want to show you something. You see. It says Waycross District Attorney explains in letter why no one was arrested in the 25 year old shooting death. Now, I saw the letter. But and I read it but there were so many things in the letter that infuriated me that I missed something. And we got a copy of that letter. And many of you maybe have seen the letter in the letter. He says, I'm not going to, he, he, at the end of the letter, he says, I'm recusing myself because of a conflict of interest. But in the, in the letter, he says that this was a citizen's arrest and I'll, I'll explain it in just a second. In the letter, he says it was a citizen's arrest. And so to me, it's lawful. I'm I'm not even going to I'm not going to prosecute these men. We later came to understand that he had multiple relationships with important people in the case and he had to recuse himself. Well. What we did not understand is that he says in the letter, listen, I will try to post a link and if if somebody from my team can post a link here to the letter, it's a letter from uh, George Barnhill. Okay. Full of lies. This man should be prosecuted. This man told so many lies in the case. uh, Just give me a second. This man told so many lies. And in his letter, he says this was a citizen's arrest. He says in his letter that there was a video and it it just went over my head because there were so many things in the letter that infuriated me I just missed there you go that's that's it right there yep somebody just posted the link to it um in his letter he says I don't know what y'all are thinking but I've studied the facts of this case and this was just you know he says in the letter that there were three men, and we now know that those three men were, just hold on, that these three men were Gregory and Travis McMichael. That's Gregory McMichael, who used to work for the district attorney's office and, and the police department and his son, Travis. Here they they let their, as you see them today, they let their beards grow out. They, you know, they let go of themselves even more. It looks like that there's a third man. And if you look at the letter that we just posted, you see the breakdown, just posted the link as well. Save that link and share that uh, and, and look over that. What we learned from that is that there was a third person. William Roddy Bryan. And the letter The letter from the district attorney, George Barnhill, it kind of gets his name wrong and and he has a couple spellings and stuff there. So he says that there is a video in that letter that there is a video from William Roddy Bryan and me. And I don't know if any of you were the volunteers with me that helped me track him down. We spent eight hours trying to find this man, William Roddy Bryan. He filmed the murder of Ahmaud Aubrey, So that's who filmed it. Okay. And here's, here's another image of him. Okay. This is William Roddy Bryan. Okay. We've got a couple images of him. There he is cleaned up and trimmed up. Sometimes he dyes his, sometimes he dyes his hair, blonde Sometimes he shaves his facial hair. Sometimes he let it lets it grow out. And then we found out that William Roddy Bryan, he just lives right here. He just, he just literally lives five houses down from Gregory and Travis McMichael. That's right. Somebody said he's also a neighbor. That's right. He's right there in the neighborhood. We tracked him down, found where he lived. And understood this was just a couple days ago, understood from George Barnhill's letter that he was the one who filmed it. If you look at the interviews of Gregory McMichael and the letter of George Barnhill. But if you actually look at the police report, uh, Gregory McMichael says this is where I, I need to break this down. Okay, hold on. Let me show you. I'm not going to show the uh the full video of Ahmad being killed. Many of you have already seen it, and I don't necessarily need to show it again. At the beginning of this video, the person driving the car is William Roddy Bryan. In Brunswick, most people call him Roddy. Okay, and he runs a mechanic shop there in Brunswick. And what we know from the police report is that the McMichaels called William Roddy Bryan. And let me tell you what the police report says, because what's in the police report, and this is important, and I think I'll be able to get to some of your questions. I see many of you still subscribing. Thank all of you for your support here and on Patreon. Many of you are members on the supporters on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash the breakdown to support this. When we cross 3000 patrons, we'll go to twice a week. What we see on this video does not show even what Gregory McMichael said in his statement. Are you with me? In his statement, he says that he and his son chased Ahmaud Aubrey. That's not what happens here. This is William Roddy Bryan driving in his car. But on the police report, they say they chased Ahmad. There's no chase of Ahmad here. What we understand is that. There we go. I want to pause it here. This right here that you see is the McMichaels. They have now blocked the road off. And Travis McMichael is now outside of the vehicle with his shotgun. And um, Gregory McMichael, the father, is in the bed of the pickup truck. Travis drove the truck so that they could block mod off. They've already chased mod Do you understand me? I just want to make sure we're clear on that. Yes, no, somebody says they didn't. Uh, somebody says, no, they didn't chase him. They stalked him. Yes, yeah, same, same, same thing. I just want to make sure you understand this is a Sunday afternoon, broad daylight, and I want you to understand that they have already chased mod with their guns. And, the McMichaels now park the car in the middle of the road, right there in the middle of the road, and Ahmad knows that William Roddy Bryan is right behind him. There's William Roddy Bryan driving behind Ahmad. And William we, we've we also have evidence of this, and now we know that we've given everything that we have over to investigators. That William Roddy Bryan and Gregory and Travis McMichael were on the phone with each other. Telling each other where to go and what to do. Okay, and this is William Roddy Bryan, who's filming it and he backs. And boxes Ahmad in from behind. And so Ahmad knows if he turns around. Right here, Ahmad knows if he turns around, William Roddy Bryan is driving up behind him. And Gregory and Travis McMichael have boxed him in. Now, Ahmad, now here, William Roddy Bryan is about to pull over. Right here, Ahmad sees the shotgun and decides he has to run around. If you look, I don't know if you can see it as clearly as I can see it. But Gregory McMichael is stand. He is the father. He is standing up in the back of the truck with a three fifty seven Magnum. Now, Lee Merritt and I have uh, had an outside sound investigator and sound expert break down the audio here, and in the audio. This is we've given all of this over in the audio. Gregory McMichael right here is saying to his son, shoot him, shoot him over and over. Shoot him. They are then yelling. They're yelling at Ahmad. Stop. Stop. These are. Country white men with a shotgun and a 357 Magnum, he's standing up in the back of the truck. With the 357 Magnum. And there is a man, William Roddy Bryan, driving up right behind him with his gun. I, I won't play it because it will require us to see Ahmad's murder again. But at the end of this video, I may be able to play it for you. You can hear William Roddy Bryan cocking his own gun. He has boxed Ahmad in. And Ahmad now has to make a very, very painful decision. He has to decide, does he, does he run to the left? You see right here, he's about to run to the left. And I think it's at that moment that he sees Travis McMichael has a shotgun. So he has to decide, do I run to the left when a man has a shotgun pointed at me? Or do I run to the right where a man with a 357 Magnum could, and is standing on the top of the truck could shoot me. And so he decides right here, he's looking at Travis McMichael and he decides at the last minute to cut right. They are yelling for him to stop. They're yelling. We've, we've, and right there, there was already a shot. We hear Gregory McMichael on the enhanced audio yelling at his son to shoot him. And Gregory McMichael, I think, was afraid to shoot, afraid perhaps that he might shoot his son in the process. And so, as you see, everybody is lying to say, anybody who says Ahmad confronted him, look, let me show you. There's Ahmad. Gregory McMichael is to the left of the truck. Gregory McMichael cuts Ahmad off. Let me show you. There is Travis McMichael is to, if you see, Travis McMichael is to the left of the truck. The door is open. When Ahmad decides at the last minute to cut to the right and get in front of the truck, Gregory McMichael goes with his shotgun and confronts Ahmad with his gun and literally shoots him within a second of the confrontation. Ahmad is now, it appears Ahmad trying to push the gun away is first shot in the hand as he's just trying to get the gun away, and then he is shot fatally two more times. And here's what's here's what's crazy is that Ahmad Aubrey in this video is tracked and murdered. And I thought that it was some secret source who had sent the video out. In fact, the local, the Glenn County police department, uh, let me show you the Glenn County police department had actually said that they wanted the Georgia Bureau of Investigations to investigate who from the one of the police or prosecutors' departments had released the video. It turns out, and we just learned this yesterday morning before there were charges, that an attorney for Travis and Gregory McMichael, they have now, it appears, gone with a different attorney. The attorney for Gregory and Travis McMichael released the video. I... I don't know what to say about that. And the attorney for, we didn't know who sent it to us and where it came from. It came from an attorney of Gregory and Travis McMichael. He now released a statement earlier today saying he thought people needed to see it. Um, It is, it's our belief. There are only one of two options that, he thought this video, yeah, somebody says their attorney is the worst attorney. <laughs> no, uh Gregory and Travis McMichael should absolutely sue this attorney. <laughs> like it is the worst anybody could ever do. There are only one of two options because he does not appear to be representing them at this point. Either one, he was ultimately so disturbed by it that he thought, "I need to release this as a good Samaritan." I don't necessarily think that's the case. What we are understanding is that their attorney thought this video was going to exonerate them and that we had put so much pressure on them that the attorney believed that this video was going to be the thing that showed people that his clients weren't guilty. And what he did not understand is that it actually had the exact impact uh, the exact opposite impact rather of what he intended it to have. It not only enraged the nation, but was part of what eventually caused the Giro- the Georgia Bureau of investigations and others to get involved in this case. Um, I want to, sh- I want Yeah. There's the link right there. He, def- he defends it. Yeah. Thank you for posting that. I uh, thank you all for being so super interactive here. Um, What we what we have come to understand is that when the Georgia Bureau of Investigations was invited by the new district attorney, Tom Durden, to be a part of the case. I don't know how many of you got a chance to see the press conference this morning, but the press conference from the Georgia Bureau of Investigations was actually pretty profound. I think they said in their press conference that their investigators had only been on this case for 36 hours when they knew they had to charge Gregory and Travis McMichael with murder. And I, there were a few things in the press conference that I didn't quite agree with. The reporters there asked a lot of very, very good questions. If somebody wants to drop that link here to the press conference, that'd be great. They brought a Uh, Actually, a powerful group of investigators, the head of the Georgia Bureau of Investigations did something powerful. He said, I am sending an investigator from three. I'm sending three lead investigators, one from Atlanta, who was a black man from Atlanta, one from a region far outside of this and one from South Georgia. He sent three investigators who were not partners so that they could be three independent sets of eyeballs. There's the link if you want to see it in a, in a little bit, the link to the press conference. He sent three independent investigators and they only had to be on the ground in Brunswick for 36 hours. And they said, yeah, this is felony murder, which begs the question, if they knew in 36 hours that this was felony murder, how did. Multiple police departments and multiple district attorneys each say, nah, nothing we can do about it. When the Georgia Bureau of Investigations was there for 36 hours and said, yeah, we are charging. We are charging these two. We are charging these two men with felony murder and aggravated assault. Aggravated assault just basically means they used uh, they used their car in. The in the uh, the act of a crime. And we were told last night, myself and Lee from um, a source who would know we were told. And if you see my post and I've just left it up, we were told that William Roddy Bryan, who boxed Ahmad in, we were told that he was also going to be charged and arrested. But he has not been charged or arrested. And so here we are. That has not happened. And we are still fighting for justice. Listen, in just a few minutes, I'm going to take all of your questions. But let me give you an action step for us. All right. I hope you all love the action steps, music, and mix as much as I do. Let me talk to us for a second about what's next. It took millions of us to just get these two men arrested. It took millions of you signing our petition. It took hundreds of thousands of you making phone calls, including... 25,000 of you made phone calls. I hope you're proud. If you made a phone call for us, can you say so here in the chat? Because I want to give you a shout out and I just want to see you. I love each of you for doing that. Thank you so much. 25,000 of you called the Georgia Bureau of Investigations. The group that decided that they were going to press these charges, 25,000 of you made calls. And I want you to understand that you had something to do with that. Listen, I could not have done this on my own. Lee could not have done this on his own. It literally took all of us. And it it took 150,000 phone calls. It took, how many of you filled out the petition? Let me know if you filled out the petition here. That petition is what we call a super petition. And we have a team at the Action Pack that built all of these brilliant tools. I'm thinking about our whole staff and team at the Action Pack. They're so talented. When you filled out that petition, it then sent an email. It, most petitions just create a database. Our petitions, when you fill the petition out, it actually sent an email to every person in the state of Georgia that we put on our system that we knew had the power to file charges so we sent over 1.4 you sent over 1.4 million emails to the governor to the Georgia Bureau of Investigations to the district attorney like these people had never seen this amount of pressure but what i need us to understand is Four things with our action steps today. First, an arrest is not a conviction. And while these two murderers, Travis and Gregory McMichael, have been charged and arrested, an arrest is not a conviction. Now, it took millions of us to come together just to make this happen. They had no intention on ever doing this. They were going to let this slide. Until we got involved, and, and clearly, when we released the video, which was a very painful decision, when Lee and I received the video at noon just a few days ago, we debated over whether or not we would release it and who would release it. And when we shared it, we, we knew the, the video was traumatic. It's horrible. And Lee and I, it broke Lee and I both down in a major way. Just viewing it. And we knew that it was so traumatic that there was a very real part of both of me and Lee that did not want to share this video. But we knew that it was necessary to get justice for the family, that it was a necessary tool to take the case that we had begin We had started to build to take it to the next level. And there's something that I I have to ask myself. Anytime I release a video like this, and I did an article with The Guardian just earlier this week about this, I hate these videos. I have seen over a thousand death videos over the past six years. And I have watched this video of Ahmaud Aubrey. I have watched two or three hundred times to study every meticulous detail of it. And in part, I do that so that you don't have to. But it took all of that just to get the arrest. But an arrest is not a conviction. So everything it took for us to get the arrest is going to take us to get a conviction. Also, we are demanding that the driver of this vehicle, William Roddy Bryan, who we view as an accessory to murder. We are also demanding that he be arrested. And here's what I know. And all over the country. Black men and boys are regularly arrested for murder. Not when they even made the shot, but when they were just there. If you participated in it, you were charged with murder. So if they're not going to charge William Roddy Bryan with murder, they need to charge him with something. Because it was him that boxed Ahmad in and gave him nowhere to go and put him in an impossible situation that ultimately led to his death. I don't don't know if the charge is going to be negligent homicide. I don't I don't I don't know what the charge. I don't know if it needs to be manslaughter. But he needs to understand that at the moment in which he boxed Ahmad in in while two other men were committing felony murder, he committed a crime. We are also demanding. That the federal government, did you know that Georgia is one of only five states in the country? That does not have hate crime charges. One of only five states. It's an abomination. So, we need the Justice Department to file federal hate crime charges as well in this case. And if you go now to runwithmod.com, if my team will post that link, runwithmod.com. If you go to runwithmod.com, first, we want as many of you as humanly possible. To run for Maude with Maude today, because today would have been, should have been his 26th birthday. And his family was deprived and Ahmad was deprived of this day that should have been a beautiful, special day for him. And not only that, but Ahmad was born on Mother's Day. And for many of you who saw my interview with uh, his mother Wanda, Ahmad was born on Mother's Day 26 years ago. This is Mother's Day weekend. It is his birthday today. We want you safely to go to runwithmod.com. Go to runwithmod.com, register for a run. If you have not filled out the petition or made the phone call, do that because we are still pushing for William Roddy Bryan to be arrested, and we are still pushing for hate crime charges to be filed. We want to cover every single base and we're not going we don't have the liberty of unplugging right here, because right now we understand if we unplug, these men will never be convicted. So all the pressure and all the work that we've been doing, we have to keep doing. All right. So this is I want you to please put on a white T-shirt and go out for a walk or a run. We're doing them today, tomorrow. Sunday and Monday. I'm even going to have my family go out on a walk in Ahmad's honor. We're going to social distance ourselves to be safe, but I want each of you to go out, be safe. And when you do it, post it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and post the hashtag, I run with mod. I run with mod as your hashtag. You could tag me. You could tag the grassroots law project. But we want you to do that, all right? Take those action steps. Go to runwithmod.com. We have all the instructions there for the for the walk or the run that you can take. We want us to take these steps together. All right. I'm going to take some questions here in just a minute, but I also have some people to thank. Break it down. Break, break, break it down. Break it down. Break down. Everybody, in just a few seconds, I'm going to begin taking some questions. We thank each of you for your support, for subscribing and supporting here. Uh, I am so grateful, not just for your support here. This is uh, the largest audience that we've ever had here. And and you probably have seen me say this. I don't just see you all as, as numbers, as viewers. I see us as people who can come together and change the world. And so anytime we see those numbers get higher and higher and higher, we're super excited for your support because my goal is always to mobilize us to do good So I see you subscribing and tipping and supporting. That's what funds and underwrites all the work and all the production we do. I hope you like uh, our, our creative director. I love that Malcolm X uh, pop-up that, that comes there when somebody subscribes. And uh, so we're grateful for all of you. Uh, There are so many special people that we want to shout out and support. I'm thankful for all of our partners who, who've chipped in And and have helped us in so many ways and uh, thankful for all the warriors uh, who have given at a special level to support us. I want to give a special shout out, not just to them, but to our producers, John and Sharon and Alexander and DJ Cassidy. And give a special shout out to Keaton for being a change maker and supporter on Patreon. All the people that I'm naming have given at, at a level that really allows us to do this, to produce it and to share it. And uh, and last but not least, want to give a, sh- a special shout out to Brad, who who has given to us at a special level. And we're grateful for your support. But the truth is. All of you who've given allow us to do this work. You give me the space to do the investigating that I do. You give me the room to advocate When you underwrite the cost of the breakdown and underwrite the cost of the North Star, when you do that, it gives me the space to be able to advocate for a family. It gives me the space to create the momentum and awareness. And so we are super, super thankful and grateful for all of you who've chipped in and given some support here in just a few minutes uh, we're going to have a couple special Q&As for everybody, and we're going to give you those links as well. Uh, let me ask our team real quick where those conversations are going to take place because i want to take a few minutes to take your questions, all right? Stay right here with me and let me ask. Hold on one second. Okay, great. We do have a couple minutes. Yeah, thank you, Gabby, for subscribing. We appreciate you. I have a couple minutes to take some of your questions here, and then we're going to have some private Q and a time with our Patreon patrons and others as well. Okay. Cool. Somebody says you like the format on Twitch. Thank you. Um, Oh, that's right. I mentioned three books. Somebody says, um, I, there are three books that have had a huge impact on me. The first is slavery by another name. Uh, this, and I think, I think of these three books as a trilogy. They didn't write them as a trilogy, but they, they function. In a very similar way, Slavery by Another Name, then The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And the third book is called Locking Up Our Own, and it's by James Forman Jr. And um, all three of those books are super important. So read them and it will help you understand who built the criminal legal system, the thing we call the justice system, who built it and why did they build it? Thank you, Kay Parker, for subscribing. Appreciate you. Appreciate all of you. Uh, somebody asked, am I am I related to Dr. King? I, no, I'm not. I, but I am I am friends with his family and deeply inspired. I went to Morehouse College where Dr. King went and I was always asked that question all the time. Um, let's see. Do do I have any confidence in the prosecution and what do I know about the lead prosecutor? I don't have a lot of confidence in the current prosecutor's office. If you want to watch that press conference, he is there. Tom Durden is there and you will understand some of why I don't have a lot of um, confidence there. I didn't share it yet as an action step for us, but we are probably going to call for that case to be moved to Savannah or Atlanta or somewhere else that is capable and competent to actually prosecute that case That'll be a new action step that we'll have for sure. Um somebody says, I mentioned on my live yesterday that I saw where the gunshots were. Hold on, let me let me let me get that question. I know you mentioned the first one in his hand uh so bravely. Yeah, all three shots. Somebody asked, did all three shots hit him? And that's actually a, a super interesting question because Uh, We were told regularly that only two shots were fired. But if you watch it, three shots were actually fired. And the funeral home communicated. uh, This is actually a a graphic and difficult part of some of what Lee and I do. Thank all of you for for you continuing to chip in and support. We're grateful that. Lee and others from our team will often after a shooting like this will go look at the body or speak to the coroner or the funeral home and get uh, an inspection ourselves. So we understand. But Ahmad had had been shot, killed and buried by the time we came on this case. But the funeral home told us that Ahmad was shot three times. And uh, I'll I'll double check on that. But that's my understanding. Uh, Somebody said, is there any truth to the rumors that the McMichaels learned that Aubrey that that uh, that Ahmad was messing with their daughter? Complete hoax. People always we actually believe that there are four or five different complete fabrications about this case that people put out there. Let me teach you all something that that is really ugly. Um, white supremacist and white supremacist groups often create misinformation and begin spreading it just to distract us. And they will create Photoshopped images and do things like that. And when they do, it gets us moving in all different types of directions. Ahmad did not know this family. No. Um, Jay McDonald, 2001. You, you said um, in my interview with the mother, uh, She said, this is so important, uh, Jay. I'm glad you asked this question. Wanda was told at about six. This um, murder took place at about 1 p.m. on Sunday, February 23rd. But on that evening, police told her that Ahmad was involved in a burglary in someone's home and that the homeowner shot and killed him. Never happened. And the police, they lied to Wanda from the very beginning. Ahmad committed no crime, and we've, we've confirmed that. That's not just my opinion. There were no crimes that Ahmad committed. He committed no burglary, no home invasion, a complete fabrication. And that was from the local Glen County police. They lied. And um, yeah, we are looking into that. And if you watch the press conference, somebody asked the Georgia Bureau of Investigations if they were going to investigate the police department for telling Wanda that fabrication, they are crooked and need to be investigated. Um, um, my friend uh, Alicia from Amsterdam said, is there anything else that you can do? Should you reach out to news platforms there? I hope you, I hope you do. Uh, uh, Alicia, you can follow us across social media, listen to the breakdown podcast. You can support us on Patreon as well. For those of you who are, who have chipped in patreoncom slash the breakdown And you can help us there. But um, we are going to always post more action steps. Uh, Chicky 38 said, do we think the full video will ever ever be found? Yes. If there is a full video, we believe that it will be released. Um, We have been told that there is a longer version of this video. We are not we have not confirmed if that's true or not. We've just been told that that is the case. And uh, uh, hey, thank you. Uh, Tay just gifted five subscriptions to the community. Thank you, Tay, for that. Thank you, Honey Brown Chick, for subscribing as well. Um, uh, If somebody, uh, Pepper asked, where can you watch the press conference? If you scroll up, some people have posted the link to the press conference. Um, Somebody asked, could the McMichaels potentially get out on bail I uh, because I've been preparing for the show today, I don't have the most up to date information. They had not posted bail last night. As of this morning, they were still in jail. And I'm not clear if that's changed or not. Um but I'll get that information and share it. And if anybody knows anything new, post it here in the comments. Um someone talked about the way Tom Durden sounds. Uh Lee Merritt had a oh oh oh, oh, oh. I, I, <laughs> oh! i just saw our new pop-up uh i didn't know if we were gonna get a chance to see that uh, I, <laughs> first it surprised me but i hope you uh i hope you love that <laughs> it says k-k-k-o and uh we're knocking the uh the clan robe off of somebody. <laughs> uh our creative director uh made that. Uh I don't know what has to happen to do that, but I ho- I hope you love it. That's just a little a little special taste of what we're gonna be doing here. <laughs> uh I, I love that a lot. I hope you all got a little kick out of that. It's good for us to uh smile and laugh sometimes, but um you know I there's always a chance if they are offered uh, some type of bail that's attainable for them financially, that they could bond out. Uh, Karen asked, were there any uh, neighbors with ring cameras? We believe so. Um, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation said that they got a lot of information that the Glenn County Police Department didn't get. And they did that within 36 hours. And so uh, we don't know if that is going to be the ring videos the thing is, if people had ring videos in february do they have them now but the georgia bureau, bureau of investigations the gbi said they did get new information and um clearly the glenn county police department and all the prosecutors offices they had no no real commitment to ever really investigate this case um somebody asked me about another shooting that happened in hampton virginia i'll look into that um Somebody asked me about the shooting that happened in Indianapolis of a black man on Facebook live. That was a young brother named Sean Reed. And I've posted and talked about that and I'm still investigating and looking into that case. Um, yeah, Georgia has no hate crime law. That's right. Also that, oh, oh, always said when somebody gives $50 that that's when the KKKO comes (laughs) up. So thank you. Whoever gave and supported at that level. I'm deeply grateful for each of you. Um, we're going to go. Oh, somebody, Tom Durden, uh, Tom, Tom Durden, the local district attorney. It, it's our understanding that he has some type of mouth cancer and that that has affected his speech. Uh am trying to be sensitive here, but several people first saw the press conference and thought he was intoxicated because of his slurred speech. But apparently it's because of the cancer that he had. And um I'm not feeling super confident about him, not just because of his ailment, but he is not known. We spoke to other attorneys and prosecutors and public defenders who know him, and they said he's not a great trial attorney. And so we're not feeling super great about that. Um, somebody said that I know that there are already people raising money for the defense. Yep. We see it. We see it. That's all right. Um For those of of you who want to support on Patreon, you go to Patreon.com slash The Breakdown. Oh, that's right. I said if somebody somebody, uh, gives $20, it it triggers the Harriet Tubman $20 bill and $50. If it's a $50 tip, it goes to the KKKO. We appreciate that. This allows us, uh, for those of you who got that email with my phone number, we have a staff of 15 different people who we are providing for during this pandemic and your tips and subscriptions and all of that allow us to not only keep our staff, but to keep them all with health insurance. And we all live in New York during the pandemic. Listen, uh, there's so many more questions. I'm sorry that I can't take them all. Uh, I still see you continuing to ask those questions. I'll try to get to more of them later. We have a couple of uh, private chat times that we're going to have with our our patrons and our subscribers. So we're grateful, grateful for each of you. Listen, once we get to 3000 subscribers on Patreon, we are going to go to doing this episode twice a week. And I think once we get to 3000 subscribers, we're also going to be able to hire at least one additional staff member as well. That's going to help produce the show and help get us guests and other things. So please chip in on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Breakdown. Our goal is to eventually be doing this five days a week, okay? So we're super, super grateful for all your support. Um, I will try to post all the different places that uh, that you can support the family. I'll try to post them on all of my social media platforms so you can see them. I don't have them all right here at the moment, all right? Love you all. Appreciate you. Thank each of you so very much. Take care, you all. Whether you host a nightly dinner party for two or five, keeping your eating and dining area clean helps keep your mind on the dinner party and not on the cleanup afterwards. Viva paper towels clean like cloth, trapping splatters and sauces that could become countertop stains or stuck on messes. And they're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. For an exceptional cloth like paper towel, there's Viva. Visit vivatowels.com to soak up the clean feeling of home.